1: And then he like, <laughs> Section 318! He just looked up in the back out of the wall of this arena to see a bunch of empty seats. There's like two people sitting in, in the back. Because like I said, the doors had just opened. There's, and they're patting everybody down. There's nobody in there. So I was like, Section 318, you guys are louder than the PA up there! And you can see two guys looking at each other and like, oh. <laughs> 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 um, uh, But I, I, I do believe my, my favorite one, however was uh <laughs> he said well what let me tell you something <laughs> i, I want to send this song to all the guys out there cuz Eddie's kiss is going to be sleeping with your girlfriend after the show it's called tears of <laughs> Yeah, you know, like that's, that's it was it was ridiculous Hello, welcome
3: to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Peza, here as always with the very bright Ben Goodman and Siobhan Cronin on the road somewhere in America with some sort of internet connection, we hope. Hotspotting their phone. Let's hope. Yeah.
2: Hotspotting from the phone somewhere in New Mexico, so you it might heaven. not make it.
3: <laughs> Today, we're super pumped, super pumped to talk to someone who doesn't do a lot of interviews. Uh, but I had to bag him. I had to literally stalk yeah. this motherfucker. Yes, yes. Ben is our resident like stock. Uh, and I gets put Siobhan guests. up to
0: it. I'm like, Siobhan, resident why am I doing it? why? She's like, I'm
3: messaging him, not enough. She's on tour. She's busy, <laughs> <laughs> but but Matt, Matt Bichon of, of Shadows Fall, uh, Living Wreckage, Act of Defiance, ton of great bands, ton of great stories, an amazing perspective uh, on the music industry, and great stories as well. So, without taking up too much of Siobhan's internet, let's get right into it on 2020 Part one with Matt. Check it out.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Betty Goodman. And I just wanted to say hello with my shirt. So if you're not subscribed to YouTube, 2020-D.com 2020. I'm here with my compatriots, my cohorts, my friends, my fellow touring people like Siobhan Cronin of Star Set and Corey
1: Peza touring fellow our basements. touring
0: people. Where have you toured, Ben?
3: Like from <laughs> My basement
1: to your basement. basement.
3: Yeah.
0: Our basements. We were up all he, night. He like has actually hands.
1: toured into my basement once. Okay. That's <laughs> true. It's he, did, he did tour into my basement once.
0: <laughs> it's, true. it's true. It's true. And then ladies and gentlemen... I'd like to introduce and you heard him already, one of my favorite people on the planet, and he's a recluse. He doesn't come out of his shell, but he did tonight. Mr. Matt Bishon, known as Tim Osmond from Shadows Fall, Active Defiance and the brand new badass, may I add, Living
1: Wreckage. How are you, man? I'm all right. I'm all right. Can't complain. Is that that like radio I mean, radio? I can I can complain. I, I've got <laughs> I think like, we old, all can complain. <laughs> old old guy problems. I have like sciatica going on and herniated <laughs> discs and things. I, I'm serious. I I could barely oh, walk geez. today, but here I am.
0: Oh no, my I, gosh, I feel you, dude. I feel like I'm gonna die. And you're doing a Shadows Fall reunion. Like how how are you gonna survive with a sciatica, man.
1: Uh, I'm more concerned about how I'm going to survive at relearning how to play guitar. I've been <laughs> playing fun. bass for so long. Like, like, I, mean, I haven't really played a,
0: well, you're played a guitar so... in
1: a long time. I mean, I play guitar in a cover band, but we do like, you know, like some like 90s stuff. We do like some Godsmack and some things like that. But like, you know, it's, it's not Shadows Fall stuff. It's a totally different world. So jumping back onto that train is going to be. Well, good it's part.
0: interesting though, because new metal, I feel like, or the not new metal, but the metal that is new now, I feel like is just bass, except they call it guitar. Like in Siobhan's right. band, they play in drop E. So it's, it's like. pretty are, wild. That's a baritone just, guitar, though. Yeah, aren't you basically just playing the same things that they're playing now, except you're calling it bass?
1: <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> what's what happening. What happening what is happening right
3: now oh well that's just a taste of what you have to yeah, expect it's, it's, in the it's next worse right. oh it's I, can't like I can't
0: wait so, we've lost every listener <laughs> well anyway
2: so Matt so as the resident yes. classical musician in the group that's not really a metalhead or a rock well I guess I play in a rock band now so I can't make that excuse anymore but for our listeners who don't know you can you maybe tell us a little bit about who you are how you got into playing how you got into a band just kind of the the, the trajectory of your career from beginning to now
1: Oh God! Well, um, that's a
2: that's a big question. I'm sorry. I should have made it a little more specific. Super
1: loaded question. The Cliff Notes (laughs) version. I don't know. I guess I started probably around 13, 14, like really going for it. But I mean, when I was really, really young, I uh, I wanted to play drums actually, and I grew up in an apartment that had neighbors on both sides, Um, and back then there were no electronic kits or anything like that, so I didn't really have a choice. It was like either it's too much noise, you got to do something else. So. I ended up uh, falling into a guitar around thirteen or fourteen, and uh, uh, of course, James Hetfield is my uh, spirit animal as far as rhythm playing. You know, I'm, I as a lot of you probably know, I don't really do leads. I'm I'm not that guy. I'm I believe that every band has their their space, their part that they do and they do well. And um, and a lot of times, and most times actually, when you have you know two lead players and they trade off each other and everything sounds great, whatever. But but I, I just I love that house of rhythm you know you've got the drums the bass that rhythm guitar you've got you know testament and uh, bands like that where you've just got eric peterson in the back holding it down you know and you've got skull on top uh, uh making it happen you know and so i always i always thought that way so so i think that's probably the reason i think that way is because i did start as a drummer i always wanted to be um that can maybe play an acdc beat now maybe for about 10 seconds before i lose it but beyond that uh, I didn't really stick with it Um,
2: that's interesting not to stop you but at what point did you realize that rhythm guitar was more your thing because I think this is interesting like when my husband okay okay so you just Mm -hmm. always felt you because my husband's a guitar player and you know he's always practicing all this lead stuff but I mean I think he loves playing rhythm guitar and so I think it's You know, it's interesting to know like what your space is because there's so many options for what you can do. Matt, Mm -hmm.
0: tell me if this is the same thing for you because I grew up loving James Hetfield, and if it was James Hetfield or Kirk Hammett, I would say James Hetfield all day because he. When you go see him live, you'd be like, okay, that dude just held down battery, and then Kirk Hammett comes and does his thing. But like Mm -hmm. playing and singing at the same time, I'm like, I had so much respect for that. So I all and I always wanted to be the worst person in my own band. So I was like, if I was playing lead guitar, it's probably not a band I want to be in, but I could, I could believe in myself that maybe I could play battery. And that's why like James Hetfield resonated more with me because I'm like, that's my lane. That's the, you know, that's the lane I could stay in because, you know, Marty Friedman for fucking forget about it.
1: You know, sure. and it's, it's not so much that uh, I didn't want to learn how to do or want to do it. I mean, I could probably, you know, pull some stuff off that try, but, it doesn't interest me enough to want to, because I'm just, I'd gravitate more towards the meat and potatoes of a song. You know, I'm more about uh, structure and arrangements and, and putting something together you can sing in the shower. You know, I don't, I don't hear anyone out there singing Steve Vai songs in the shower, but you know, (laughs) they're singing, it smells like teen spirit. And I have this all the time. It's like the song is like the most important thing out of all of that other fluff that comes in. Those are just the parts that make the song. Right. So, uh, if everyone's trying to do the same part to make that song, everyone's stepping on each other and everything else. So, I, I you know, find your house, live in it, and, and do what is best you can. And the other thing, too, is a lot of times I'll see lead guys where especially they're doing really or at least trying to do solid, tight rhythms or whatever. And they're alternate picking these things. But You got to downstroke that thing. It's like (laughs) pop ahead, man. You guys all downstroke because it sounds different. You don't think it does. does. Maybe live, you can get away with it because of, uh, you know, space and and all these other things. But when you're tracking that, you can hear it. You can hear that pick attack and you hear it. And it means something. that's, That's what I do. Or at least try to.
2: That's so interesting. So one other thing you mentioned is you said you fell into guitar around like thirteen. So yeah. what what did that mean? Like you you saw someone play guitar? Was there guitar in your house? Did you have music around you growing up? Like how did you gravitate <sighs> not, to that?
1: Not a lot. No one in my family ever played any instruments. No mm-hmm. one. Uh, 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 for some reason, when I was like three, I wanted to be Animal from the Muppet Show, that was it. You know, <laughs> I was like, that's, I, even actually, yeah, right now. I, if you look down here, from Muppet Show. Drum kit from the seventies. Ah. <laughs> oh that's badass.
0: Dude. Right now, that is tune like, into the YouTube. By the way, if no one's yeah. watching, Matt just pulled out like a yeah. absolutely period correct early eighties <laughs> Muppet animal set that I'm sure yeah. Paul
1: Lorenzo, our drummer from Lost Symphony, is going. What the fuck? Well, it's funny because I, I always tell the story. That was like my favorite uh, uh, gift, and that's what got me going. There's a picture of me, my brother, and my dad on Christmas. I, I got to be Jesus. I was young. It had to be late seventies um early eighties and, and it was um I opened that there's just this picture I was like, that's the picture that started everything. And of course obviously that drum kit's long gone i was telling a really good friend of mine about that whatever and somehow she like found this on ebay for 20 bucks and just gave it to me last week i was like this is the best gift I've ever my, life. my <laughs> <dewy> mind <laughs> just said
0: wow that seems like a really good deal for an animal 80s oh <laughs> you're not kidding I are there more to... of them I, <laughs> like give me I, two of them please i'll sell them
1: i can't wait to mount this thing on the wall you know um <laughs> I, wow we kind of lost track there where are we going with this oh i think i remember i think i remember okay <laughs> That's what I say every but day. No, but well, like I said, it just it, with, with guitar, it just kind of happened because I still loved music. I did. Um, like I said, I, I wasn't I grew up around a lot of it. My dad listened to a lot of classic rock and easy like top and things like that. Uh Dire Straits. You got huge in, into that. Um and is probably my favorite player on the planet um for a lot of reasons. Um but um it just <sighs> I don't know. It just it was it was out of necessity because of the fact that it had a volume knob and you could turn it down, and I wouldn't bother the neighbors that lived next to me in each apartment on either side of where I grew up. So it wasn't because that's what I really wanted to do. It's because I simply yeah. couldn't have a drum set. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's why I like turned into rhythm guitar because you know so I'm not playing leads because I'm I'm playing with the drums. I'm playing with the beat. I'm, I still feel like I'm. Connected with the drummer without going on top of it. Does it make sense?
3: Yeah, 100%. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Do you think that maybe that's why you, I mean, I, I, when I, you know, hung out with you and and you were nice enough to play on Murder of Crows, um, a song off Chapter Two from Lost Symphony. And one of the things I did notice is just so we reunited with you and John, um, you know. From Shadows Fall, now you guys are doing a thing again. But you know, we were oh. breaking new ground for a long time. And I just love how much you filled it in. Like you made that song huge. Like if there was like the balls, like there's Jimmy Bell up here just doing his, you know, Jimmy Bell thing. Uh-huh. And, like is outside of space and time. And like that's that's a a whole different thing. Cause he probably he probably downstrokes all that too, which is the crazy part. Um, but you just fill it all in. But as a producer, like when I, I sit in the studio, and I know you have a studio like mine. You think more about, like, how do I make this sound fuller? How do I make this sound more badass? How do I make this heavier? And that's more about the rhythm guitars and locking in with the drums than it is, like, look, I'm Jeff Loomis. I can just arpeggiate everything with my sweet picking.
1: Well, I mean, Jeff Loomis can do pretty much anything. So That's true. That is very true. Which Which, yeah. we,
0: or Chris Broderick, we, we, your, your bandmate. Indeed. Who happened to be, what, in my opinion other than maybe cacophony the greatest dual lead jeff loomis chris broderick and nevermore
1: i mean come on it was terrifying watching him warm up every night just just (laughs) straight up scary well what is what is wrong with you man what's wrong with you
0: what is is it like watching chris broderick warm up i want to know because i mean as a guy that likes james headfield you're in that school and you're in your lane what's it like watching the ferrari next door
1: well again it's it's a it's a Different world. It's a different technique. It's a totally different approach. And and he is meticulous with rehearsing and, and practicing. And that's why he is so good. And that's why he is because he's dedicated to the craft. He loves it. He loves doing it. And and he's he's hands down one of the best I've ever played with. Um and, and it, it's just interesting watching him because it's it's so out of my wheelhouse, what he does. It's just something new for me to see. You know, if I watch some yeah. guys warm up all day, I was like, "Oh, I do that. I do that. Yeah. I do that." But I watch him. I go, "Wow, I don't, I can't do that at all." That's cool. That's <laughs> you know,
3: on that thought, um, and because you mentioned that, it, you know, you kind of visualize songs almost holistically. You hear like that whole rhythmic aspect and and how it's going to kind of come out, um, and which is the producer mindset that we've talked about with a lot. Of, you know, instead of just hearing the riff, you're hearing the whole picture. Mm-hmm. Um, with with the people you've played with, uh, like how have you noticed like kind of a typecast type of like role that people fall into when they're thinking about music? Like is those super shredders and those guys that are hyper-technical and, and into the fine details, is there a, a different like wavelength that they're on versus the people that sit back and, and the, the rhythm section that, you know, is is much more happy to be in the background as long as everything sounds big and, and is, is full. Like, do you notice that difference?
1: Sometimes it depends on the player. It depends on the band. Uh, but like I said, for me, you know, it's always about the song because that is always the most important thing. You know, if you've got an amazing, you can have the best 10 minute guitar solo, whatever proggy thing in the world. It's never going to be on the radio. It's never going to make money, money. Any money. <laughs> it's never going to, it's never going to step up. So if you're trying to do this and, and move forward, yes, yes, do that and and do that because you love it and and make those records but also if if you want to try to stay somewhat relevant you've got to write a song you want something that hits something that hits people very relevant to our our current band like (laughs) sell (laughs) (laughs) to sell to to your audience you know if that's your audience is that what you said shadows fall
0: like let's write the next britney spears record it'll be the little hanging well, well you guys came out which, that's that's an interesting thing, because that. like that's the kind of music I feel like my dad would be like, this makes me
1: sick with that started to be a thing that was more of a thing that had no boundaries. So it's kind of the opposite of what I just said. But but within holding it within the reins of, of a song. Now, if you listen to our earlier stuff, it's all over the place. I, I tried to listen to some of this to even get back in for this reunion gig. Like oh my God, how am I going to pull this off? Like, damn, damn, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and we were a little off the wall then, but, but when I went into it, it was like, well, why can't we, and I came right out of a, of a death metal band, like straight death metal, like 90s death metal band. That's, that's where I came from. And when I met up with John, he was playing in a hardcore band with Adam D from Killswitch school together. And they, and, and he had showed him some riffs. And I was like, those are cool. And I wasn't doing the death metal band anymore. Hey, let's do something. But I also said like, look, who says we can't have a violin part? Who says we can't have clean singing and death metal vocals? Who says we can't do that? Nobody. There are no rules. You know, and I took a lot of that from a lot of the European bands like My Dying Bride and uh, uh, Course in Flames and, and all those things where there were a lot of just different things happening that you wouldn't hear in, say, out of a Florida death metal band, whereas well, it was more like Florida. set straight. I, you know?
0: I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but when I was I, I was in a band called Carve and I feel like there was a very specific sound like with Killswitch Engage and Shadows Fall and like we were kind of doing, but like in Massachusetts, like what? in Massachusetts, a very specific type of uh, of metal that it's funny because you go to a concerts like Loco Bazooka and you see like 30 awesome bands. You're like, this is just what it's like to be in the local scene. Whereas we, Now I realize we were at a very special time where, like this new breed of music was coming. Where you're right, it was very extreme, like you know that Pantera heaviness, but then sometimes with like the beautiful choruses, and Uh then you could have a violin, and then there was shred guitar, and it was like put in a different way, where it's like almost it was bipolar because before it was like you either sang like Priest or you screamed or yelled, like, Slayer. You-, you know what I mean? Like, there wasn't a lot of middle ground, and I feel like bands like Shadows Fall and bands like Killswitch Switch Engage and all that remains that came from here, man, that came uh-huh. from here, like, right. developed a sound that have now become, like, almost... People almost make fun of what Adam D sounds like as cookie-cutter metal now because he invented a sound that it's almost become cliche because of how many people copied it.
1: Right. Well, it's because we all grew up together, and we all played the same shows together. What was it either in the same band or in different bands doing the same gigs so we all had the same outside influences like the you know bands like at the gates and and in flames and and even you so you i always said uh, uh, with some of the melodic metal stuff i was like well it was in flames and flames like no, no, no that's that's boston you know, that's the first Boston record. That's what that is. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. Because if you if you really if you put some heavy guitars behind the first Boston record, chunk it up, <laughs> put some death note vocals over it. That's that's In flash, right? I kind of want to hear season?
3: that. I kind of <laughs> want to hear that now. I'm not going to lie. I, I feel want, like heavy... Matt that
0: this should be you and John's like drunken party band where you guys just do do Boston <laughs> covers in the style of In <laughs> <laughs> we were, I'll get listen. We know Barry Goudreau. Yeah, we'll We will fucking cool. call Barry, and oh, if you boy. make that happen, I promise you, I'll I'll convince Whoa. Barry whatever it takes <laughs> yeah. to get him to play
1: with you. Well, oh my I would gosh. imagine if, if we're hammered, we wouldn't be able to play Boston songs. <laughs> <Sure. laughs>
0: I don't think we'd be able to actually. Fashion. I couldn't play him oh, sober, so God bless you. Oh, go uh, ahead,
2: go, Corey.
3: Siobhan, your internet d- g- causes a delay, so I'll let you take I'm it. While sorry. You, while yeah, you I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm it. hot
2: spotting from my phone to her life, so go here we for
0: it. go. Um, <laughs> Is it one of those days? <laughs> no,
2: oh my God, you're terrible. No, to dovetail on what you we were talking about, though, I, I'm interested to hear what some of your early musical influences were, because a lot of guests we've talked to, you know, they refer to like a first experience. Experience they had seeing a famous band on TV or reading about it or going to a concert, and I wonder if you have like a specific memory of kind of that first thing that really caught your attention that was like, okay, this is kind of what I want to make in my life as a musician.
1: Um, Well, I always remember just loving music regardless of what it was, from even Mm -hmm. from you know Michael Jackson to to anything really. But I mean, my first real record would be probably an Iron Maiden record, you know. and that, and of course, it's when you're a kid and you and you buy those records, you buy them because the album cover is cool, right? That's because that's Dude, do. that's
0: why I got Live After uh, Death. I tell people that all that's, the time. That's it the was, record I'm talking about. It was about. Columbia House, and that's they had the a thing, and it, and it was like it had like a warning on it, whatever. I was like, I have to get this. It had the guy pulling out the chains, and I had no idea what Iron Maiden was. 13 minutes later, I'm like, this, they, they just huh? taught me that that poem I learned in school, like, uh, rhyme of the ancient. My dad's gonna think I'm smart.
1: Well, we can't have that, can we? (laughs)
0: Alexander the Great. I have like Steve Harris when he wrote the second side of Somewhere in Time. Like sat there with like Encyclopedia Britannica and was like, "All right, here are all the bullet points about Alexander the the Great." We have eight minutes and forty-two minutes worth of riffs right now.
1: (laughs) And 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 what's wrong with that, right? Nothing. (laughs) Exactly. Iron Maiden
0: was schooling not in just metal, but in history and culture.
1: Exactly. And they still are to this very day.
0: To this very day.
1: So that was you know a huge one, but I was really all over the place, and I still am with what I listen to. I, I just I don't have any set rules. I when I was really young, I uh, with my grandparents, you know, I listened to a lot of like roots country stuff, like Waylon Jennings and uh, things like that, and, and all of those things have an impact, whether you realize it or not, they do. Sure. And when they come together, I think when I, when I first was like, all right, I'm going to do that is. Uh, I saw Metallica on the Justice for All tour in 89. The Worcester Centrum. Cult was on Sonic Temple at that time. They were opening, so it was the second time through. And actually, uh, I was probably I don't know. Not to date it, myself. Was Jason but, coming you know. through the monitors? But uh, oh, well, uh, no, not quite. But they had the Lady Justice thing that like blew up and fell apart behind the Oh Lara's. no! Listen, I awesome. saw
0: the live shit, binge and purge. That oh, was God. like I, first off. I think like 89 like that 90 which for me is is the height of Metallica and it's not because I love Cliff Burton but I think that when Jason came in with a chip on his shoulder and the Injustice for All album which we all know the live bootlegs are better than the actual album if you go back and compare because I mean the album is actually kind of sad by comparison but that said that was my favorite time for Metallica I just wonder like was there though bass at that time was Jason just making the face screaming die no
1: I mean you could you could hear it live I mean it's just uh, for the record I you know it didn't I guess whatever they did for the record, it was what it was, but um, <laughs> that's none of my business. I, I don't know why I would love to hear that album with bass. Uh, you know, and I know it's out there somewhere. You know, That's
0: actually why Nora Jones wrote but, that song uh, was because of Jason. Is that
1: why?
0: I don't know why.
1: <laughs> I'm going to, um, yeah. All right. Whatever you say. We're we're sorry. I'm just, <laughs> just gonna. Throw That's that like out why there. did
0: I agree to this? Like literally, this is the interview out of like the seven million I've been offered. Yeah, this is the that. one I chose. Because <laughs> I borderline <laughs> stalked him. I'm like, Siobhan, here's his number. You call him. I'll call him. You call him. I'll call him. That's how we get I know. And he like b- he pushes me to
2: like bully people into coming on the show. I'm like, I'm not a bully.
0: Can you talk to them? <laughs> hey, Dustin came on last week and it was great. Yeah,
2: Yeah, that's true, but that was just an accident. Once you have everyone sequestered on a bus, it's a lot easier to get them to do things they don't (laughs) want to do.
0: That's a good question, Matt. If you were on a bus, what was your favorite thing that you've seen your band or any band that you've been a part of or seen third party that did something that they wouldn't normally do if they were not on the bus? (laughs) I mean, I know you've toured with Dimebag Daryl, so like we we have the, the...
1: yeah, Just but how am I supposed up. to how am I supposed to remember any of that? <laughs> <laughs> That's,
0: That's the real answer. question.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah. Jason Costa remembers. So if he can remember, you well, have no excuse. Avery, man, but see, Dime used to used to have a picture <laughs> every day, every show, every day to have a whole picture full of blacktooth grin. So it, uh, it's... Whole bottle of whiskey and it topped off, and if you even so much as walked by him in the hallway, you had to tug off of it. So even by the time doors were open, everyone was freaking shit faced. <laughs> like it, it, it didn't matter; you had to. He wouldn't. He wouldn't let you get away with it. You had. You had to. So <laughs> yeah, some of that was a blur, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> I good times
1: indeed, though. Good times indeed.
0: Actually, I so I want to ask you about this because I saw a picture come up, you know, in my Facebooks, and you know, it's one of those things where You know, we've been around for a while. Where like you, it's like sunrise, sunset from Fiddler on the Roof. You see these things come and go. And I saw a picture of you and Joey Jordison and John um, uh, (laughs) today, dressed up like Kiss. And apparently, Uh it was like a band and like a thing. So Joey Jordison, the drummer from Slipknot, just left Mm us, which is again like how, how, why? But I saw that picture and I got to tell you, it made me smile. And I want to know what the fuck was that?
1: What was that? All right, well. (laughs) <laughs> the three of us just instantly kind of like hit it off. So like those all those times that we had we tour with something out a few times that, that one big tour in the US was like 10 weeks long. So we had plenty of time to cause trouble. my god. Um and um we were just always just running around terrorizing people. But we loved, you know, 80s hair metal and and a lot of those guys didn't. So we'd be like, oh 80s kiss is the best. All right, ah, 70s kiss is the best. No, 80s kiss. <laughs> So then as the weeks went on, we would, after the shows, we'd come to the dressing room like <laughs> stupid makeup on. Uh, we'd have the boom box or something. You we'd know, blast and lick it up. And tears are falling, <laughs> And just annoying the hell out of the rest of those guys that didn't like the 80s kiss stuff.
0: Who was the most and annoyed that, by 80s kiss of Slipknot? Uh, can, we call it, can we say names? Like is Corey Taylor gonna be angry if we say Corey
1: doesn't like Bruce Kulick? No, I think, <laughs> I think Mick might have been pretty, pretty upset about it, <laughs> but, but he 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 still got the joke, and, and I love those guys. Every single one of those dudes is nothing but kind to us, and and that was just that was probably the best tour we've ever done, one of them for sure, um, and uh, we just kept pushing the joke, and we kept pushing the joke, and, and Joey's like, look. We'll play the last two shows. Like, what are you talking about? Because eventually there, there was a rotating opener on that tour. It was uh, Slipknot, Lamb of God, and Child's Fall. And then every bit, four or five shows would be a different band. I think All The Remains did a handful of them. Sworn Enemy did a handful of them. Gizmashi did a handful, and they would rotate. And eventually it got to be where, because of the union rules uh, and the timing, it just there wasn't enough time to have another band on the tour. So they stopped doing that. So it was just the three of us for probably the second half of the of the tour. He said, Well, look, we got 10 minutes. Let's just do 80s kiss. Like, what? <laughs> and then we're thinking, well, what do we call it? I'm like, well, 80s kiss, what else would you call it, right?
2: <laughs> that's of course that's
1: what you'd call it. So we put this whole thing together. He was Eric Carr. And I was uh, Vinnie Vincent because if you're gonna get away with makeup, the only period you could really do is oh, yeah, Vinny Vincent with Vin- the an-, you know. So, so I did that. And uh, John was Paul Stanley, and their tour manager, Sully, uh, was Gene. And those last two shows, we had. There's video of it somewhere. And Bobby Tongs took um, a bunch of video of it. He's got it somewhere. I gotta, I gotta get in touch with him and find it because it was the best. Um, they had it, the rigging set up where, like, second show they would they put uh put sully uh the the tour manager on the on the thing harness and pulled him up in the air while he was playing bass and- <laughs> shut up oh yeah so yeah, wait we, how
0: did it sound like like okay on. well first off it was horrible
1: it oh, was horrible oh, <laughs> awesome. yeah, we got, <laughs> okay you know we got together in the got together in the dressing room like you know right before the show there's like oh, we right. three songs we did uh, it was uh lick it up tears are falling and heaven's on fire oh my god <laughs> and uh it was only the last two shows of that tour, but the first one of those two shows was in Iowa. So Joey went home and he had a crack mirror Les Paul and, and, and a couple other guitars. He's like, go home and get these. and We're going to use these. Hey, at one point, he was talking about us even getting our own tour bus for two days. Just like, rolling, <laughs> just like kiss, don't talk to us. You know, like, and, uh, and we had um, Willie Adler from uh, Lamb of God on board as our security guy, the squirrel. <laughs> They have it, roll, you know, cigarettes rolled up in his sleeve, telling oh my all the local local security not to look no us in the way. eye and all this shit. Oh, it was so oh cool. my god! It was the best. It was hysterical, and you know our backdrop was just we had cardboard boxes with like gaff tape. It's just these <laughs> so You can see it in some of those photos, just green gaff tape. It's so stupid. So when we first went out there. <laughs> The faces on these people, and the doors had just opened, and all these young kids are running right towards the barricade, and they've got the parents with them. And there's, you could see question marks just over people's heads, like, I, "What is going?" Did Joey on? have his
0: full kit up, like, like full blown, like Slipknot kit going?
1: I think he was playing on uh the Shad kit actually, because it was part of that back one, So I think he was playing. Well, on that's still Jason's a
0: ridiculous kit. kit on Bittner's kit.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so he was did, playing did on he do that enough one.
0: Enough for like people were like, "Is that Joey?"
1: No, nobody knew. Nobody <laughs> they knew. They just wow. thought it was a random. It was. It was you know, such an in and band. out quick attack. It was only the set was ten minutes long. It was just mm-hmm. in out. People didn't know what the hell they were looking at. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes you'd see like some kids' parents going, "Oh, I know this song. Yeah, all right." <laughs> and and it was, it's on fire. And, I mean, we by no means were we any good. <laughs> and but it was all about the banter, you know. So,
0: oh wait, so wait, who did did. Did John
1: do the oh, Paul banter? Oh, of course he did. Whoa. Oh, so did he
0: do it? Wait, I know John, and like he's a funny dude, but like I don't see him doing a a Paul Stanley banter. Like, what what's a what's a John Paul Stanley banter? Like, what uh, do you choose from that? Now, right. There's a lot of Paul Stanley banter you can choose from.
1: Well, I mean, well the one of the one of the good ones we're in uh, Madison, Wisconsin for the second show and he comes right out and makes some noise. Like Madison Square Garden. <laughs> we, we, we headline these shows, but we got to be in Japan in like six hours. So we're going to play first for you right now. And then he like <laughs> section 318. He just looked up in the back out of the wall of this arena to see a bunch of empty seats there's like two people sitting in, in the back because like i said the doors had just opened there's and they're patting everybody down there's nobody in there so i was like 318 you guys are louder than the pa up there and you can see these two guys looking at each other like oh. <laughs> <laughs> um uh but I, I i do believe my my favorite one however was, uh, <laughs> he said, well, let me tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> I want to send this song to all the guys out there because Eddie's kiss is going to be sleeping with your girlfriend after the show. It's called Tears of Foggy. <laughs> yeah, you know, like that's that. It was, it was ridiculous. And so, just for two nights, and we put it out there. and think Joey told his management or something, they're like, Don't blab your mouth, that we're doing a kiss tribute. <laughs> They didn't believe it, and they never posted. Like, this is not real. This is a joke. You just and wiped tears from so your eyes, f- oh, You made f- me cry.
0: <laughs> no, you just made me cry. I'm literally <laughs> yeah. crying. I'm laughing so hard because John.
3: I'm so Are sad you? that I missed this. Is really what I'm uh, crying I'm just, about. That's hilarious. <laughs> f-
0: just if people don't know John Dene, who's the other guitarist in Shadows Fall, and he plays in. Antarctica, who's on the, and on, the and yeah, on the show?
2: We had him on the show. And yeah, yeah,
0: we had him on the show, and he's on Lost Symphony. I just, just <laughs> thinking about him. Talking it's Paul Stanley with Joey Jordan and I can Matt. hardly
2: imagine it. That's hilarious.
1: I, it takes so I much charisma a... to do that
0: with like two people out there. <laughs> it
1: was absurd. It,
0: was it cathartic, though? Was it like because nobody knew who you are? Oh. So it's like, fuck it. Like, we don't care if we fail, like we want
1: to fail. Well, hell, yeah, we didn't, no one knew who we were anyway. Do I even realize they are watching Joey Jordan right now? Probably not. <laughs> but they are. Um, but, but Blabbermouth in those places, they didn't even pick it up because they're like, that, that's not real. That's that's so stupid that there's no way that's real. <laughs> and after the first show, the next day, they posted it the first morning. They're like, members of Slip Dot and Shadows Fall have Kiss Tribute Band. And I guess oh uh, apparently it, it came out to, uh, it got back to Gene somehow, maybe through their manager or something, so I heard. Oh my God. I was like, whoa, finally, an 80s Kiss Tribute. What are they called? Like, 80s Kiss. <laughs> 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 You're like, I have that trademarked. You <laughs> and, I, have and, I hope, and I hope he didn't see any of the footage because anybody, be like, oh my God, they're just picking on us. And it's like, wait, we weren't picking on them because we love those songs. I I love that shit. But it was just, you know, in the moment, right? Just have fun with it and, and just do something goofy for tour pranks. And that second show, too, when we had the rigging for the uh, tour manager who was playing bass, played the, was it the third song. We had about 10 minutes before we had to do a shadows fall set so we're all covered in makeup right so we throw the guitars down we run back to the dressing room take all that shit off change and get back out do the set now during that 10 minutes the first night uh it was just over and we left or whatever second night when it was over the uh stage manager so that they pulled him back up and he was just <laughs> dangling for like 10 minutes people <laughs> were throwing shit at him you know and he, didn't ever, oh my God. and he can't see anything without his glasses, like nothing. He can see nothing without his glasses. So he didn't know what was going on. He's just dangling for like 10 minutes and they loaded him down about halfway through. They put a cigarette in his mouth, lit it, and then sent him back up again for another <laughs> <little> five minutes. <laughs> we love you, Sally. <laughs> that wasn't Oh, my, oh God. my God. So That's it so was it, was it was a really, it was, it was one of the best like tour pranks like that's ever. I'm so happened. glad I asked you
0: that, dude. Oh, that's so, so funny.
1: It's still one that. of my one of my favorite stories ever of, of being on the road. You know, that when one, that one's hard to top, really, because we like made it happen. You know, it's if we had our own bus, that would have been hysterical because all day it was like, don't look at Eddie's kiss. Don't look at Eddie's kiss. So we're playing that whole game like, no, we're the stars here. Don't so funny
3: when you were That's touring hilarious. and we, we talked to john about this about like how the the you know the the levels of touring because there's <laughs> always like the the first tours are always like exciting but fucking terrible and like uh-huh. it, you know everything and then you, you kind of get to the sweet spot eventually but what was it like when you first started the chance to tour with a band and be
1: in a rock band oh it was I, I just love to travel and see new places i still do i'm not over that you know i i there's nothing better than having a day off in the middle of Indiana somewhere in some town you've never heard of. In a, you're in a mall parking lot. and You go into an Applebee's on a Wednesday afternoon. Oh, and my just gosh. I totally there, relate to that. Yeah. You know, and just kind of just kind of see what's going on. You know, get familiar with your surroundings and stuff. It, it, that never gets old. Uh, of course, the early days were really tough. You know, in, in the van days, you know, because we were pulling really long rides you know for years and years and years and years and years um and uh but they were still great you know was those long night drives where everyone else is asleep and i was always uh, before uh, the, the sciatica night. yeah well luckily i can still drive it's the other leg
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: um but um I like those drives sometimes because I was the only one that could stay awake all night. Everyone else is kind of like morning people, and I just, I'm just—I'm—I'm a night owl. I just—I just am. Um, so I was always the night driver. Uh, <coughs> put on some, uh, but I, I would always put on something to chill, like some Jim Croce or some Ben Folds or something, and and just have at the wheel all night. <coughs> and, yeah. Uh, it was just so it wait, was you're, really so you're getting
0: off stage, playing with Slipknot and Shadows mm-hmm. Fall and Eighties Kiss. Obviously, I mean, obviously Eighties Kiss, mm-hmm. and then you're putting on that in the in the bus like you're just like rocking out to like dire straight salt swing
1: Then like i feel like you morning. tuned out
2: of the conversation and yeah. like returned at a different part because we've no, we
1: on. Heard him- yeah you just <laughs> went through a time warp. Yeah, was like, you know, i go back to the time. future well, no, was Like when, I- when you're in the van by yourself and everyone's sleeping now um but we did have for the most part kind of a no distortion rule after shows because it was just like too much like okay the shows over no distortion rule
0: so, okay, so what's John Denae's go to no distortion band? Oh,
1: gosh, that's a good question. Uh, I know uh, everyone kind of likes a lot of the same stuff. We love listening to Pink Floyd, you know, so I'm like kind of who doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, are
0: we talking like, um, like early Floyd? Are we talking more like, you know, the wall and after, like Gilmore?
1: I, I'm into the Gilmore stuff way more. I, I, me too. As far as, oh, yeah, hands down. Um, but I mean, just all of it, just anything to just kind of mellow out. You know, uh, we both agree a lot on uh, like Toad the to Wet Sprocket, for example. We're both big fans of. Um, I, I love that stuff too. I actually did a record, two records, back in the uh, early mid '90s doing that kind of stuff, and I'm singing too. So I was doing like Jim Blossom, is Better than Ezra, uh, that tonic, you know, bands like that. And I'm still working on cover bands to this day, doing that, those sort of things. I love those songs and. I think that is a lot of influence, what turned into Shadow's Fall. I love Cannibal Corpse, and I love the Jim Blossom, so why can't I put them together? Who makes the rules, right? Like, why can't I do that?
0: So it's one part Jim Blossoms, and one part, like, I come blood. Yeah. I love that. You said said a couple times that,
3: like, why can't we do this? Uh, Which I think is one of the things that comes up all the time is that attitude of, like, there's rules, and then there's why are those rules. Um, did you ever feel like, not pressure, but that there, w- there was a box in the scene that you guys had to break out of? Or was it so open that when you decided that, why can't I do this, it was just immediately accepted? Is this, that's great?
1: No, there was never really a box in the scene. When the scene was first starting, even before uh, him and I got involved, um, it was a huge death metal scene around here. Uh, local band. The local bands would draw eight, nine hundred people, and we it was it was really strong up here, and um, that just kind of steamrolled into other things. And then as uh, we started, and then a couple of years later, you had Killswitch, and then you had uh, All That Remains, and you had Acacia Strain, and then you had, uh, and then you've got your Boston bands doing the kind of the same thing, like on Earth, and it, it, we all just kind of mashed together at the same time, doing something that was a little bit different because Boston was huge into hardcore and, and Western mass was huge into death metal. And it just seems to seem to smash together because in Boston. You had, you know, tree and sand black church and uh, bands like that and Slapshot and all the earlier early stuff. Um, and it just, it just fit. It, we would always play shows together with the same, the same bands. It didn't matter who was playing.
2: What do you think it was about Massachusetts or where you were growing up that fostered that sort of culture, that sort of scene, or that t- that style of music
1: is the superior seafood.
0: <laughs> That's actually true. There's lots of. Oh, they say there's here.
1: something in the water.
0: Okay, <laughs> because of the seafood. Yeah. Mercury, lots
1: of mercury in the <laughs> yes, lots of. Mer- <laughs> lots okay. of mercury. Right. That's where the metal comes I'll from. I'll take
2: it. I'll take it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really hard to say. I, I honestly don't know. It's it. it it's a matter of all all the bands coming up just all got along and there was no rivalry. I've seen some local scenes just you know passing through other cities where you've got one band that talks shit about another band, talks about other bands, like all oh, these guys this It was never like that here. It was always like, hey, let's all we'll get together and play a show and in somebody's basement. You know, that's just what we did. Hmm.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. What were could you? Tell us a little bit about some of your very early experiences playing in a band like we kind of skipped forward a lot. But I'm interested to hear, you know, like after you started learning guitar going back, like what was your first early yeah, band experience or so your, your first project or maybe your first touring experience?
1: Well, first project would have been uh, something that was called Desecrator, which later turned into Exhumed, which would have been. Uh, God, I don't know. 90, 91 um, right. and it was a thrash death metal kind of thing it was, that was at the time that's was all about that and the scene mm-hmm. the local scene was strong too. there were a lot of local bands around that scene, and we just tried so hard, tried to do anything and our drummer, who was really, really terrible at the time <laughs> um he 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 tried he tried his best, but boy, oh boy, he could not keep time <laughs> and and um he went to a prep school around here and uh they were having some like talent show at their gym at this prep, this fancy, fancy pants prep school. And it was, oh, go on a talent show, you know? So you got all these uh, jam bands playing "Brown Eyed Girl" and you know whatever else. And then here we are, <laughs> here we are. We're <laughs> right here, We're here to speed up your day. And uh, that didn't that we we didn't win. <laughs> let's just say that
2: tough crowd. Yeah. Let's just say we
1: didn't. Let's just say we didn't win. And then. Yeah. Uh, um, and then it turned into Exum, but, uh, and then the same band, that next band Exum. it was, um, uh, we replaced some members and got a little bit better, we played at the same school. Uh, and, uh, some friends of ours, uh, saw us there and knew the person that booked the club, the local club that had some of the nationals coming in and everything else and kind of referred us. And we ended up on a show with one of the big local bands and, just kind of took off, and before you knew it, here we are. We're open for Obituary, and we're opening for Fear Factory, we're opening for whoever else is coming through, and just build and build and build and build and build. And uh, it was a great time, and we would go anywhere and everywhere we could, and we would go to see all the shows. It didn't matter. It was, oh, oh, DSI's at Salisbury Beach. Oh, it's only four hours away. Let's go. You know. -hmm. Car and go, but of course now, like oh, it's four minutes down the road. Nah, I'm gonna sit on the couch. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But back then, it it didn't matter.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. I so the band that I play and I joined. I mean, as a string player, I'm spoiled. You know, I joined when they had the budget for strings. (laughs) But it's it's interesting talking about talking about touring. You know, and and you know now we're on when we do our normal headline tours, we have two buses, and Mm -hmm. you know it's funny talking to the guys because they obviously went through the whole gamut of you know different levels of driving in a van and you know having to take turns doing these long overnight drives and they they speak about it with such nostalgia and like it's i almost feel like they really enjoyed those days and it's funny you know the outside perspective touring it's like oh the more you have the better it is which in a lot of ways is true but i think some of the most fun times are definitely like you know when you are still kind of hustling a bit and it's so cool to hear those stories from different people that you know especially bands that are building from the ground up you know
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's just like anything else. You appreciate it more when you work for it, right? So right. something's just handed to you and you're just like, oh, cool. Thanks. Here's this thing. But <laughs> sure. if you, yeah. you spend three years trying to obtain that thing, it, it means more and it sticks with you for a long time.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. Ben, you uh, look like you uh, tuned out a little uh, bit there. No, I was trying to be quiet for you guys because, you know, like, Matt. like He's, I first, he's,
1: bo- he's bored with me. I know. No, I'm I'm bored. Bored. Once he
2: stops talking, he's bored. Let's be uh, honest.
0: No, I'm, I'm
1: not <laughs> bored. Oh, fact, that's a first.
0: In fact, a lot of the times I, I, I have to be, like, multitasking so that I can, like, even pay attention. So, like, I listen and I absorb. So when I'm talking a lot of the times is usually when I'm not listening. So like if I'm not talking <laughs> know. and I look like I'm distracted, it's usually when I'm listening. Oh, it's very nice. disconcerting. It's, ver- it's hard to understand. So, like, basically, if I seem engaged, it's probably a lie. And if I seem disengaged, I'm pro- It's like when I go to a show, I realized the other day, I went and saw Guns N' Roses and Green Day. And I loved it. Like, I really loved it because Guns N' Roses, once they, like, tuned in, like, 40 minutes in, it was unbelievable. Green Day, the, the difference being between, like, Guns N' Roses where Axel first off, still sounds like he's an Olympic-level singer and, sh- and, and Slash rewrites those solos every night perfectly. Green Day puts on a show. They're like, Mm -hmm. you know, from the first song, coming out with a bunny rabbit and blowing shit up. And I realized the whole time, even when Weezer came out and you saw Rivers Cuomo with a fucking serious mullet and just a stash and a fucking 80s leather jacket and a crackled Jackson. The whole time I'm sitting there like this. And I was having the best time. So, like, you would never know. Because if you saw me, like, you would think that guy's a curmudgeonly old piece of shit. Meanwhile, I'm like, huh, 1994 dookie i was all by myself in my mind so if i look like that it's usually because i'm liking green day
3: right on <laughs> well, so, right. I, I had one question uh, that I wanted in in my Wikipedia research, which you have a Wikipedia, which is always very exciting. Like congratulations oh, on that! Lord.
1: Oh yeah, um, I, I know everything. Did you, it, it. So, Most did of it you write it?
3: Did
0: you... <laughs> it, it? It's written, it it's, it, written it's by Tim It's written a... by Tim I don't know.
1: I don't know that guy. I heard he's. A, but I don't but know that. It's dude, been.
3: It's written in a very suspicious like uh like perspective. But either way. Um, <laughs>
1: There's, uh, there's I never really didn't write it, but most of that information is incorrect. Oh, well, and so that's I why I bothered you. Okay, bother, okay. And I, I don't ask you to change it because it's nobody's business, right? Right, right. No one needs why to why? know what my enough. birthday is. I can guarantee you that that is not correct. <laughs> but no there's one needs a, to know. <laughs> there's a mention of
3: uh, Lifeless Records.
1: Uh-huh.
3: It's Was that your label? Like is this? that so can you and talk about really, well
1: it wasn't like a label it so that's wrong. what
3: i want to ask you because because there's there's like all this talk of like i have a label it's self you right. know self-release like what what did that mean
1: to you why did you put a name to what you were doing and what was lifeless records to you well it was it was something just initially to get that first child's fall um album out the one that had uh, phil about to sing on it and um with that and and when we we're doing shows i'm trading demos and tapes with people i just i just loved helping other bands so I did put a few things out, you know, on that label, and found some minor distribution, and just kind of got things out there. It wasn't like a, it wasn't any major record stores. It was more like underground tape trading, but with a boost because I had the resources from, you know, traveling and knowing a bunch of different people. It's like, hey, let's put something together. But what I would do mostly what i did with that was was uh i did some compilation albums for the new england metal fest and and i had a hand and helping start the very very first one and um so at that i would i would collect all the demos that i got at shows of kids like hey check my band out check my band out go home with trash bags full of tapes and i'd check them out and see if, okay well, let's contact them and I would put them on a, I'd make a compilation CD. And by the last one, I think I had a hundred bands on the last one was like five discs set or whatever. And you'd sell them for like $10. So the bands would be, I'd give them for, they would, they would like send me some money up front to help pay for the manufacturing. Then I would send them a bunch of copies of the finished product. They could sell at their shows and they could make their money back. So break even, but in return, what they were getting now is they're getting that those hundred other bands are doing the same thing in their markets and their thing. So now all these other people are hearing their band with all their contact info inside the liner notes. So it was more of a, a way of networking that like a pyramid scheme. Well, I mean, no, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I make any money. It, I'm but. just kidding,
0: dude. Someone has to make money for that. We you know, there's no money in music. Come on, well, clearly, that's a joke. Well, it's like the know.
2: original playlist. <laughs> like now, you know, people make playlists on Spotify, whatever you share, and then it's like, oh, okay, that's you know how people discover. So it's interesting that's how a, you did that.
0: That was a different time though, when people actually appreciated songs, though. No, right? Because, of course. Well, that's like, what I'm saying. This is. Do you remember, that. Matt? Like, so the, it went from. I remember back in the day, people bought stuff and then you're like you were happy and then you gave stuff to people and and if you gave it to them it's like oh i gave you a promotional copy and you felt cool then there came a point where you found fi- i found like i was chasing people to give out like cds i'd burned and put like the staples logo <laughs> on myself with the tape thing mm-hmm. and you would go always as you leave the club and there's four of those cds that you printed for a dollar 47 yourself in the fucking trash mm-hmm. what why do you, did you see that decline and what that looked like from you for like from people valuing music to basically burning CDs yourself and like chasing people and they still no, don't want to listen. Went,
1: to it. it went way too fast. It was, it changed like that. It was gone. It was <laughs> gone. Uh, and there was really no way to keep up with it. I think, you know, so I still like to help, you know, other bands on, on a level that I can, but you know, doing it that way isn't going to work. Cause like, uh, you know, I work with uh, Carnivora out of Salem, and so I've produced their album and, and have been working with them in a kind of a management uh, level kind of role. I guess just kind of guiding them into uh, something better because I believe in the band. They remind me of me twenty years ago. I'm like, all right, I'm going to help these guys out. Um, so I still like to do that. Of course, I have, I don't have as much time as I used to, but um, but uh, that's not going to stop. But the, the way you deliver it is definitely different. You're not going to go to every show even the first shadows we had be, before we, our demo came out we had a singer before phil actually and um it's damien and we made a, like a two song demo i mean a six song demo then we had these other two songs we went to a pantera show in springfield that just handed out tapes we just dubbed a bunch of cassette tapes and handed them out to everyone in line you know and everyone was stoked to receive it just like you were saying and now it's just it's like oh cool thanks and then they just throw it on the grind <clears throat> It's, it's,
3: well, you shouldn't be handing out tapes now. That would be very right. ill-advised, I think. <laughs> maybe maybe, <laughs> that maybe been your that's mistake. the problem. Yeah, you right? shouldn't be handing out tapes That's out. true, actually. What is
1: this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Google this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's it's definitely a different world, and, and you have to adapt to it. But um, it, 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 it's difficult. It is because it's moving so quickly,
3: so yeah. quickly. Yeah, I remember seeing Shadows Fall. I think on Fuse. I think you guys had like a Fuse TV interview or something. And I, I, like that was, and I was following everything. I was like, this is like the pinnacle, the pinnacle. Like they're on <laughs> Fuse TV. <laughs> like what? Can you talk about like when, when that next step came? You know, because there's, it's. Did it feel like a steady, <coughs> um, path, or was there like these like. Kind of jumps and, and steps right oh now we're in a tour bus or now we're in this now we're doing this festival like how'd that yeah. feel
1: well we we didn't stop that was the thing in the, in the early days we did not stop once we played anywhere and everywhere we could on our own and then once we had signed with century media and we had a booking agent we started touring we would do one tour, take two weeks off, jump right into another one, week off, do another one, do long weekends, do another one. We we were on the road ten months a year for five years straight, easy. Oh my god! It, it just building and building and building, and then playing with everyone we possibly could with we, this very wide range of bands. You know, the first tour out with you know Dismember and Christian and Cataclysm, and then the next tour we're out with Glassjaw and Avenged Sevenfold, and it, it's just different. But that's what I always thought was cool about what we were doing is that. It kind of fit everywhere. There was no real set like, "Oh, these guys belong right here." Because like, it was it was was a little bit different for the time. And 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 fans of I just you know I just those realized those fans can, can get into it and fit definitely. No fans that you have
0: it. played on tour
1: with three of the greatest
0: drummers that have left our planet way too fast. I think you're like you are like the albatross in the Iron Maiden song for the drummers. We have Joey Jordison gone. We have Vinnie Paul gone. And then, hold on. You had one other guy that we, I was just thinking about. That uh, who did you just say you were? Reverend Jim, the Rev, the Rev, the Rev from Avenged Sevenfold. Thank you. My brain stopped there for a second. The Rev, who was unfucking believe. I mean, Mike Portnoy came in and stepped in for that dude. I mean, if you if it tells anyone like the level, like what was it like to watch, like. I guess my question is being a huge fan of all of those bands, what was it like watching those drummers? And like, what was the difference between like a Joey Jordison and, and Vinnie Paul and, you know, and watching the Rev and, and what were you thinking at the time when you were standing maybe behind the drum riser?
1: Well, I mean, they were all pros by the time I had seen Vinnie or Joey, they had already kind of gotten there, but with the Rev, it was different because you know we, took them out on one of their early tours, like one of their first tours and people just didn't know what to do with them. Cause like, these guys are different. We were really sure where to put them. Well, come on, come out with us. So we had tons of tours where, where they were playing with us. And then one really great one was a, it was a, she was, was mushroom head headlining with us and high on fire. And Avenged Sevenfold was the opening act for like $50 a night, you know, and we, we, was, well, we, we toured with those guys. I couldn't tell you how many times and, and they're always so, Grateful even after, and when they blew up, you know, they would always call us up and go, like Hey, you guys want to go to Canada? <laughs> yes, you know, it was cool. They always returned the favor, you know. So uh, I love those guys' death. You know, it just it's, it, 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 I've been lucky to have toured with good people that you hear horror stories all the time. I was out in front of this guy, and he was a dick, and this guy was a dick. We've never really run into that. That's, uh, that's I'm, amazing. I'm, I'm quite surprised, actually, considering we have been doing it for you know 25 years or whatever. It's like, Jesus. We never want to Not even one more? in the
0: band. I mean, like I feel like every band has a dick. I mean, I'm clearly the dick in Lost Symphony. So, like, <laughs> well, we know that. Clearly. So, like, I mean.
1: But you're the dick in any band, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: okay. Well, no, that's <laughs> not no, true. My, my, <laughs> my dad's name is Richard. So, the Goodman band, he's technically the dick, and I'm Ben. Oh, well,
1: that's, so, that's what you inherited from him, though. It's yeah, just exactly. that. Just yeah, the, the title. okay. And the notes. All right. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, of course everyone's got some uh, aggressive people here and there, but you know, you don't really, s- there's so much going on w- when you're on <laughs> tour like that. There's so many things distracting you and you're getting tugged in every direction. It's like, you gotta be at this meet and greet. You gotta do this autograph signing. You gotta go to an in-store here and there. You got sound check right now. You gotta go do this. You don't really have time unless you really connect with somebody and spend a lot of time with them. Like, say, like we do with Joey or, you know, or some other people like that, that to really see that so I can't really say and it, obviously everyone has their bad days you see people blowing go, you know, wow that guy looks like an asshole but they don't know what happened <laughs> in their life you know it's right like, and it doesn't happen every day so that can't be true you know I'd like to think that everyone's got some, some good in them somewhere that uh, they don't want to uh, I don't a, know if you were really playing the like, real
0: 80s kiss you would know better because well, <laughs> Gene, Gene's never
1: nice well I, I've never met him so I do not know
3: <laughs> we're gonna uh we're gonna be coming to the close in our first hour pretty soon but um you, you mentioned uh you know how you guys were just working and working and taking every tour and everything you get and 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 kind of on that trajectory was there a point where you had your head down and then you looked up and you're like oh this shit's working like was there an actual point where that happened or or did it just feel like it's the same thing
1: that you just kept, kept going up and up well there's and, definitely you could see there's definitely a point where, where things started to grow quicker mm-hmm. and that was probably Ozfest 2003. That was a game changer. That what just, was that like? Cause you could just, there weren't really many bands like us on that. So it was a lot of, uh, new metal bands and things like that. And it was, you know, us and Killswitch. <laughs> so it was, it was for, for them too. I they'd say the same thing. That it would be that tour that really kind of turned the corner. Uh, or people are like, wow, this is different. What is that? Uh, it's not it, it's the same uh, uh, cookie cutter uh, new metal stuff that's on both stages or being processed out of the label factories, you know? Uh, and from there, you know, it just, it just kept going because right after that, 2004, we had, you know, the damage plan tours and all that. 2005 it was 2005 Oscars main stage, the Slipknot tour. It, it just, it just, we didn't stop. But once, once things started firing, it just went. And we pushed it as far as we possibly could.
0: And do you, I have to ask you this because I feel like your band's like one of these bands, like you know, with all that remains, is like, why can't you guys do the fall of ideal or, 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 or you know, a lot of people were like, the war within, the war within. Like, do you feel like, but you guys never stopped like crescendoing your success. Like, do you feel like when you were getting successful? Because we're from Massachusetts, we have to fucking heckle you. The people were still like, but your last record was better. Like. You guys should sound like that. Like, did that happen a lot, or do you guys just not give any fucks and nobody cares? Of cared? course,
1: everyone's gonna say that. Everyone's gonna say, "Well, make another Right, and then if you did make another one of those records that you asked for, then they complain and go, so it's just like the last it's one." Still yeah, <laughs> satisfied. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, that you cannot win. So the way to get around that is to just just ignore them. Just do not you Just do what reload. you want. Because at the end of the day, you're the one that has to play those songs on stage every night. You're the one that has to be happy with them too. And yes, you want to connect with the audience, but you also want to enjoy it too. Because if you're up there and just going through the motions, people can tell, and when they can tell, that's when it starts to die. Cuz they they just they know you're bored with it, which makes them bored with it. So if you don't if you don't do it for you, it's it's never going to work.
0: What That's a, such perfect, an excellent way to What a perfect to way to end yeah. this Ben, don't derail. Okay, I'm, I'm going to start another conversation. Right, no, ben? metaphorical question that we were talking about that I want to know. Do you think that Eric Carr and Joey Jordison have formed the real 80s kiss in heaven?
1: I freaking hope so. I sure hope so.
0: We just got 2020. <laughs> so why don't <laughs> we...
3: <laughs> Since the information on the Wikipedia may not be up to date, no. well, um, Matt, if you want, if Matt, you want
1: to rattle some of that off, feel free, and then we'll, I will decide which we'll come, information or not. I well, we'll jump back into it we'll, in the next. As far as
3: far as what you would like to be divulged, uh, what would our what should our listeners know right now? Um, what to keep an eye. Obviously. We got the Shadows Fall reunion show coming up in mm-hmm. December, right? December, yeah. Which is incredibly exciting. We'll dive into that in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but anything else right now that you want to tell people about? I know she- I've been seeing a lot of Living Wreckage
0: gigs that like yeah. I need to like drive that's, two and a half hours to.
1: That's something mm-hmm. I would love to get into because that's 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 what we're pushing now. That's that's the new that's the new thing. Oh, and we're so just, I
0: guess we have to stick around for later this week for you to tell us everything. We'll just dive balls deep. Absolutely, and, and, wreckage and links will
3: be below. Let's, Let's see. do it. You guys have been twenty twenty. Thank you, as always, for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-d.com, like, and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 66 featuring John Denae of Anthrax and Shadows Fall. Check it out.
1: i remember being in Australia, and that's when we got like another milestone news for me was, um, do you guys want to go on tour with Slipknot and Lamb of God and do arenas? which I'd never been on an arena tour before. Yeah, right. So I remember, like, uh, Matt and I were roommates in Australia. We're like, what the
3: fuck? i <laughs> like, holy shit, we're going to play arena.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, and then <clears throat> that April, Us Flipknot and Lamb of God went out. And that was, that was rock and roll, man. Like, we were all having a good time back then. And then from there, like, that, that was Shadow twelve Golden year. was 2005. And then after that, we went on tour with Ausfest with Black Sabbath, Maiden black label society and so like that was like my holy shit here one hit thunder
3: is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know